Yes. Uh, now, in the second part of the novel, which we are probably a little more than the middle, right? We have this whole question of the marriage of Dani and Lucy, right? And uh, we've talked about, I don't know whether I did it enough, right? But we talked about Charles, uh, not Charles, uh, Sidney Carton, right? And how he looks at himself as a kind of a, uh, uh, there's a lot of guilt, right? Yeah, so at one level we have a lot of guilt which is happening, right? And uh, at the other level, we also have uh, some kind of lack of shame, right? Which is which you see in Paris with uh, the people in the pub, right? Now uh, it stands out very much that these people are actually uh, what you call business uh, people, or it's what you call the inter uh, uh, the inter the the idea of the middle class expanding, right? Yeah. So this is a kind of transitory phase uh, and that's why maybe you might find it interesting that Marx uh, and the Marxists take Shakespeare uh, as very important and Dickens is very important, right? Though I do not know whether Dickens read Marx and I don't think that's possible, right? But uh, uh, in fact, there are very many people who haven't read Marx at all today uh, very well, though they talk about themselves as Marxist, right? Yeah, and I think that's uh, a distinction that we have to make. There's a difference between what Marx writes and what the Marxists say. We also have to go back to the idea that Marx, at one point of time, a French communist, says that uh, he's a Marxist and this and that and the other. And Marx says, sorry, I'm not even a Marxist, right? Yeah, of course, those are not academic uh, itself, but the question is, we have a lot of literature about Marxism, but we have very little many of us don't go and read the actual text, right? Yeah, and I think uh, as literature students, we are supposed to read actual text and not secondary material. Yeah, uh, and that's why it's better that uh, more and more people start reading the text, right? And read many more texts, right? And of course, I'm linking that up with the idea of what happens to Dr. Manny after Lucy gets married, right? And that's something that's very interesting because it's talking about the industrial revolution and it's also talking about the idea of what we talked about as typically Victorian, the half natural and the half artificial, right? Yeah, and the day before Lucy gets married, right, she's sitting with Dr. Manny, right, and they're having, and uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. Post, right, and he's, he's talking to her before Miss Post comes up, right, and he's actually telling her, well, you have to, I was worried about you because you have to go by the natural uh, kind of criteria of life, right? Now the question is, this is assuming that everybody has to get married and that's what is come talked about. Today we call it naturalized, right? And we think that this is the natural order of things, that everybody has to get married and you get that uh, very starkly in this idea of the idea of nature versus culture or the idea of a half natural and half artificial, right? Yeah, and the question is, this is artificial, marriage is an artificial thing, but many people think that it's natural, right? Many people think, oh, oh what we call it, as naturalized, right? It's like the caste system in India. Most people, in their kind of thinking, think of the caste system as a natural order of things, right? Yeah, and 
that's how we have been indoctrinated, right? And that's how also the French were indoctrinated and the English were indoctrinated, yeah? So you have the hierarchy of society, you have the feudal order, and these are supposed to be natural orders of things, right? Yeah, and uh, that's what uh, we have also with, uh, I have a lot of students who uh, have this idea of Hindu Rashtra, and they think that that's the natural order, right? So what happens in this second part of the the, uh, the novel is, it's talking about different orders of things, right? Sorry to be very Foucauldian, and Foucault writes the orders of things, the order of things, and he's beginning with the idea of the Chinese and the Europeans, right? And he's actually talking about how the Chinese write, yeah? And you have systems which write from left to right, and systems which write from right to left, right? So I think all those things have to be taken into account because we're talking about the order of things and the order of things is important because we're actually talking about how we have uh, a different order of things in every culture that we come across, right? So I think uh, that is important, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, we are talking about the idea of uh, a different culture which is uh, happening, right? And this culture is important because when we're talking about the order of things, we're also t talking about not only the idea of the prison, which has become a natural kind of thing for many people, right? And for the poor people, that seems to be the natural condition of things, whether it's in England or whether it's in Paris, right? Yet to be put in jail is not a problem, right? And the idea of the guest of the government, right? Uh, yeah, is something interesting because the idea of the guest of the government is actually saying that conditions outside are so bad that it's better to go to prison because you've got a meal at least, right? Yeah, and you get many people who don't want to leave prison because at least their security is looked after in prison, right? They get their three or four meals a day and uh, they don't have to work, so it's better to, uh, of course, that's, that's of course looking at it rather harshly and cruelly saying that people don't want to work, right? But the conditions outside are so bad that it's better that people live in the prison, right? So that's one. And of course, Dr. Mane, uh, uh, that's when Dr. Mane becomes so important, right? And he's got a little breather of life because he's released from the prison. Now he's brought to England. And the whole idea of the change of atmosphere is something that we're talking about, uh, about human health, mental and physical health, right? Yeah, th so this is a very important idea to change the scenery, right? So you actually have people who are very troubled about a lot of things, right? And just giving them a break or a holiday is important, right? And uh, the unfortunate thing is many poor people don't have that kind of break. Many women don't have that kind of break. And even when they're on a holiday, they do work, right? Which is terrible. Right? Yeah. So the idea or the natural order of things as you have in patriarchal societies is even when you are on a holiday the woman gets up and looks after the dishes and serves people and do, does all those kind of things which is it. Right? So uh, we have to rethink and what the, the novel is actually trying to do uh, the idea of the natural what's the natural order of things right? Uh, I don't know whether uh, Dickens in his own day was uh, questioning that and perhaps he is. Right? And what he does over there with the treatment of Manet, right, and this idea of uh, uh, Lodi, right, 
Mr. Lorry, right? And how Mr. Lorry actually treats Manny, right? And that makes you begin to wonder about the advancement in Dickens's understanding of human beings and understanding of the world, right? Because we have a, a psychological technique called the chair technique, right? So you might have heard of it. And this is something that we have in Get Start Therapy, right? And of course, Get Start, and I'm going to talk about Get Start, there many things to be talked about there, right? One is, it looks as if you have a kind of schizophrenia, right? Yeah, and there are different definitions for schizophrenia, and we don't really know enough about it, though we know a lot more than we did maybe a hundred years ago, right? Yeah, but the idea of schizophrenia uh, is interesting and important because there is a kind of a fixity of mind, right? Or today with the CT scans, etc., we're talking about deposits in different parts of the brain, right? And therefore, people get stuck. So we're talking about the physiological kind of condition. We're not talking about a mental condition, right? But when you look at it from outside, like a behaviorist, you'll find a mental condition, right? Yeah, and we have what you call an obsessive compulsive disorder, right? And it's only called a disorder. And there's a big difference between a disorder and a disease, right? And the very that sometimes they overlap these two categories, which we call a disease and we call a disorder, right? So you might like to think about that, right? And uh, the idea is uh, we think that both of them can be looked after, at least most diseases can be looked after, right? And the idea, of course, is that uh, you have a little bit of a casteist mentality, right? Especially when you have uh, Lucy talking to Dani and talking about uh, uh, Cotton, right? When she says, look, he's not going to change, right? His life is not going to change, right? But he's got a, he's got a magnanimous heart and he's very generous, right? Yeah, and uh, there are other good things about him, which are also not going to change, right? Yeah, uh, so that's the way people look at the world, right? And that's, today we have a problem with that kind of looking at the world, because from an Indian point of view, or from a Brazilian point of view, it looks like what you call a caste, right? Yeah, so we all uh, molded in a certain manner, and after a particular period of time, we can't change, right? Uh, we also talk about uh, this in the workplace, where we talk about something called a paradigm paralytic, right? We, and the most interesting thing in India is many people become paradigm paralytics, right? Yeah. So uh, with that and that kind of entry, we first get into this idea of Dr. Mane, because that's it actually which is very straight and surprising, right? The minute Lucy goes off or for their uh, honeymoon or the break or whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. After the wedding, right? And the wedding is not uh, a kind of a, a big affair, right? There are very few people there, yeah? And they don't, there's, there's nothing mentioned about the party. They're only mentioning, uh, yeah, so we don't even know what kind of party they have. Do they have a party and a celebration? All those things are not mentioned in the novel. And that's a silence in the novel, which is interesting to think about, right? Yeah. Because when we talk about a wedding in India, it's a huge thing, right? And when we talk about a wedding in Britain, you just have a few people, right? Yeah, of course, there are people in India also who do that, right? 
uh, like one of my students got married and I was one of the few people who were invited and it was not even 10 people totally at the wedding. Yeah, it was only 4 people who were invited and the mother and father uh, of the, uh, uh, the bri uh, bridegroom and uh, the mother and brother of the bride, right? And uh, yeah, that's all, that's all the people that we had, right? So, uh, so that was about four, four invitees and four of us, that's eight people and the bride and the bridegroom, right? Yeah, so that's about 10 people, right? And of course, uh, that would be an English kind of wedding, right? Uh, not uh, the, the lavish kinds of weddings that we have in India, that's a tradition which I enjoy of course, right? Yeah, so, uh, uh, which I wouldn't have enjoyed maybe 30 years ago, right? But, uh, well, I, I would think that it's, it's some kind of a, uh, a very interesting kind of cultural thing today, right? Yeah. Anyway, forget about the wedding because uh, it's after the wedding what happens to Mane, right? And Mane goes back to making shoes, right? And he's making this shoe, uh, a lady's shoe and all those kind of things, right? And you get this thing where Miss Poss and uh, Dani, well not Dani, uh, Miss Poss and uh, Laurie, right, get together and chop up his shoemaker's bench, right? Yeah, and that, uh, and they, then they uh, incinerate it and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, so uh, the question, it raises a lot of questions, right? Because first of all, this man is stuck. Right? And before uh, Lori does that, right, he's actually talking to Dani and that's something that's fantastic because this is a banker, right? And he knows so much about human nature, right? And he also calls himself uh, this kind of cold detached kind of banker, right? Yeah. Uh, but what is interesting is he talks to him and what we would call a get star therapy, he's actually working that on uh, Dr. Manning, right? Because he's actually taking him in to say, what would you do to this kind of a character? Do you think that he'd be cured, right? Okay, how, how do you think that he will react, right? And will he stick in this way, right? And if he's got a tremendous amount of trauma, we call it trauma today, we've got used to the word trauma because we are post-Freudians, etc., right? Yeah, we talk about trauma uh, when, when we're talking about physical injuries and we're talking about trauma when we talk about mental injuries, right? And we're also talking about schizophrenia where people are stuck in certain ways, right? And cannot get out of that kind of way, right? But we're also talking about normal people stuck in a certain kind of routine, right? And that's not new even to Dickens because you have uh, the super animated man, right? Uh, of uh, this guy called Addison, right? Joseph Addison, uh, no sorry, Charles Lamb, right? Charles Lamb is actually uh, got this essay called The Super Animated Man where he's talking about how the, uh, the art atmosphere around your workspace, right? How that plays on you and how you behave in a certain kind of manner and when you finish working, you can't get out of that, right? And actually Charles Lamb uh, is a romantic, right? Or a lady romantic, whatever that is, right? Uh, yeah, so, uh, what happens over there is he's actually talking about how this kind of uh, uh, workspace has worked on you, right? Yeah, actually, he's a little, he's a little about uh, the early romantic, not, not even there, right? Yeah, uh, 
so the idea is what happens to the workspace, right? How do the workspace get on you, right? How does it affect you, right? And what is interesting and what is important over here is we're talking about education and schooling along with prisons, right? Yeah, and we're talking about the idea of child behavior, right? I'm sure you're doing this in your ELT or at least you're curious about it, right? But we must also remember that in the 20th century, we have a very important writer called William Golding, right? And he's a school teacher and he's been a school teacher for a long period of time. And when we're talking about classrooms, classrooms, of course, in Blake already have been called prisons, right? Yeah, the school has been called a prison. And uh, the, uh, unfortunately, fortunately, when we're talking about uh, the Victorian age, we're talking about the idea of uh, Bentham, right? And Jeremy Bentham, who uh, Dickens uses very highly in uh, hard times, right? Yeah. So the idea of Bentham, Adam Smith, these are things that are going on. And Foucault talks about Bentham and the idea of the pentagram, right? Uh, not the pentagram, it's called the panopticon, right? The pentagram is first, right? A panopticon, right? And these are used for concentration camps, right? And today it's used for vigilance because we've become a capitalist vigilance surveillance society, right? Yeah. So the idea is, uh, and of course, people like me uh, like to trip out, out of the, uh, out of the rather of uh, the vigilance because I leave my mobile at home and go around, right? So if you call me, you can't even get to me, right? And when I come back, of course, I'll get to you, right? But I leave my mobile at home and go around because I want that little brief space of freedom because otherwise we're in a prison, right? Now, the prison metaphor is there in Hamlet, right? Hamlet is talking about the world as a prison, right? And the question is, how do we get out of these prisons, right? We are also, so when Dickens, it comes to Dickens, we are actually talking about behavior as a prison, right? And how the prison gets you into a certain kind of behavior, right? So uh, the statement he's trying to make is very important because it's a kind of a philosophical statement of the thinking not only at that time, but even today, right? Yeah. So you put a, a child in a school and then you have all these other people like Maslow and uh, uh, we don't, not, uh, what's the guy? Uh, uh, the experiment with the dog. What's that? The salvation of the dog? Ivan uh, Pavlov. Which one? Ivan Pavlov. Uh, Pavlov, yeah. The Pavlov experiment with the dog, right? Yeah, so we're talking about uh, the, uh, the dog uh, salivating, right? Yeah, and we're talking about uh, how human beings can also be like that, right? Yeah, so the question is uh, all that is psychological behaviorism and what happens when you put a person into prison, right? And the idea of functionality is important, right? Like, for instance, the other day there was a big discussion in the friend's house where uh, uh, the uh, the mother of my friend actually talks about men and how men decay and get get uh, they don't recover from strokes and they don't recover from a lot of diseases because of uh, their ordering women around and that's why that's the price they pay for it right so when they get sick they get stuck over there right they can't do other things right and they're so dependent on women right yeah so we have all this issue which goes around, but the most important thing is that men 
because of our patriarchal system, get what you call into paradigm paralytics at one level, yeah, and they can't function, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's of course what my mother used to tell us long ago when we, uh, uh, I think it's when I was a little child, uh, we somebody died and they they gone to a, the funeral house, right? And uh, uh, the the person who came with us said, well. These are people where the men never worked, right? And only this woman used to do all everything for them, right? And they had to learn how to stitch, they had to learn how to cook, they had to learn how to do all these things, right? Because, and for them, that was totally new, right? So, we have what you call the paradigm paralytic, that is, we get used to certain modes of behavior, right? So you can, I think it's a good idea if all of you go and read uh, the superannuated man, by lab, right? And that's important because it's actually talking. Dickens perhaps would have read it, right? Yeah? And the idea of getting stuck is something that we get in Ibsenite drama a little later, right? Yeah? So you have the mannerisms of people which Dickens is doing already, right? The linguistic mannerisms and the repetition in Dickens is a sign of what you call a mannerism, right? Yeah? And of course, in this chapter, it transcends that ordinary idea of what is called a mannerism because it's actually talking about a, a, a schizoid kind of self, right? Because this man uh, is shifted and he's forgotten about his bench making and his shoe making, yeah? And he's not in the profession, but he's made to do that and then he does that after in prison and after that, right? Yeah? So the shoe making is important, right? And uh, the shoe making also maybe is a metaphor, right? Uh, and a big metaphor over there, right? So we can talk about that also. But uh, the shoe making, and he's making this lady's shoe, and all those kind of things, which are very important, right? Because, and the idea of the daughter and the bench, right? So how does one substitute the other, right? So these are substitutes which take place when he's taken from a Paris to, uh, to this place called England or Soho Square, wherever that is, right? Yeah, so you get him, uh, actually the bench doesn't become important, right? You get rid of that idea of the bench and now there's an emptiness in his life because his daughter has gone off, right? And uh, a, a lot of memories are very important there, right? And we still don't know about her mother, right? We know that she's brought to England by Laurie, right? What happens to her mother, we don't know, right? So that's still a blank which we have till this part of the novel. Right? So the idea is that he's talking about will he ever see the child and she's an unborn child. Right? So we're talking about the, the idea of the child and, the, uh, and a kind of patriarchal or fatherly, if you want to be kind, call it, call it fatherly. Right? Yeah? It's no less patriarchal, of course. Right? This kind of anxiety about what kind of a child will it be? Will it be a male child or a female child? Will the child ever know me? Right? Will the child ever learn who I am? Right? Will I ever meet the child? Right? Now, this is something that's tremendous because it's talking about what happens to a person who's put into jail. Yeah? What happens to a person who's got a wife and family at home and is put into jail for no apparent reason, right? Without uh, a legal and he's not done anything wrong and for some kind of political reason or some kind of. Uh, Jealousy, right? That's what you have in Count of Monte Cristo, right? Yeah, you, you get rid of people by putting them into jail, right? We know what's happening in our country, right? 
we know that a lot of voices, a very strong voices, who are talking for the poor are put in the jail, right? Yeah. And of course, here there are different ways of putting people in the jail because you want to suppress them and you want to keep them. Uh, you don't want any political unrest, right? Yeah. So that's why the jail becomes so important, right? And the idea of being locked in the in the idea of the the Bastille is one great kind of prison, and you take your prison with you mentally when you get out, and that's exactly what Dr. Mane does, right? So he's uh, on the bench uh, making shoes, which is not really his profession, right? And then uh, he's also uh, making shoes again, and he goes onto the bench again when uh, Lucy and Danny leave uh, for uh, for Wessex and other parts of England, right? So you get that kind of uh, uh, the the kind of going back, okay? So you have this idea of this schizoid personality. One is the doctor, the other is the shoemaker, the other is the father, and the idea of identity is what becomes important, right? So we go to Amartya Sen, and Amartya Sen is talking about the idea of different identities, right? So we have a religious identity, we have a caste identity, we have a, a parental identity, we have a children identity, we have a national identity, we have a sub-national identity, right? We have an identity of a human being uh, all over the world, right? And we carry all these identities with us, right? And I think uh, that's important to think about because uh, we have a government today who's uh, largely uh, going on with identity politics, right? Which, of course, that's kind of a low kind of politics, and you can see that where it's going, right? And this, when we're talking about Dickens's novel, uh, Tale of Two Cities, right? Uh, and we talk about India and Pakistan, I was constantly reminded on how this novel has affected Kushwan Singh, right? Yeah, because if you read Train to Pakistan, and you read Tale of Two Cities, and we talk about the Kashmir issue, or the Palestinian issue, or if you've seen this uh, Iranian movie called uh, uh, Baran, right? Uh, yeah, it's talking about what happens to people who are taken away from one mode of life to another, right? And of course, we talk about all the tribes in the in the Narmada Valley who are and not only Narvada, right? I think Dig Vijay says that he's living at Okai, right? When your wonderful Okai Dam was constructed, right? All the tribes over there were promised accommodation, and now they are uh, they are slum dwellers in uh, Surat and Bombay, right? And that's what the government has done, right? Not this government, but the previous government. So when you build a dam, right, you're disrupting people's lives, right? Yeah, and how do they change to a different occupation? Right? Because they're poor, nobody thinks about these things, right? And uh, the idea of a constitution and a democracy is not thought about, right? Whether it's the Narmada Dam or whether it's the Ukai Dam or any other dam, what happens to people whose lives are disrupted because of your idea of progress, right? And this goes back and it pits the blame on the Nehru, Indira Gandhi and all the subsequent governments who come in and uh, get into all these dam-making projects, right? Yeah, and it's supposed to be a temple of democracy and all those kind of epithets that we have with Nehru, right? But I'm not talking about the people in power. I'm talking about the palace who are put into all these things and what happens to them? What happens to their way of life? Okay, 
And we're actually talking about that, right? On one hand, when we're talking about France, it's not only talking about there are two cities, but it's actually talking about the French, right? Yeah, so the idea of the city is a microcosm of what you call the culture of France and the culture of England, right? So there's a kind of very careful, uh, subtle kind of comment that Dickens is making over here, right? Where he's actually trying to say, well, look at what's going on, right? Yeah, look how people behave, right? And then there's something across about humanity, right? We're actually talking about the human being, right? We're talking about what happens to human beings when they're subject to all these kinds of pressures which they have not created, right? And uh, that's when Foucault becomes important and says that the self is outsiders, right? So what happens to a bad political regime who uh, puts people in prison, right? For no fault of theirs, without any kind of justification, just for political ends, right? Which seems to be, and of course, and as true to the literature, we know that every transaction is political, right? Yeah. So, and the, the same people who put a person into jail today might be the people, and that's what you'll see in the novel, right? Uh, the equations change, right? All those kind of things keep happening. And this whole idea of uh, this change happens, right? Of course, when we study about the French Revolution in history, it looks as if it's a one-day affair, but Dickens has been cautious enough not to make it a one-day affair, right? He's talking about this kind of slow, gradual kind of awareness, right? Because when we talk about uh, uh, the, the revolution, uh, many people imagine that it's uh, the very, very poor who are into that. But uh, by and large, many people would think also that it's a middle class kind of a revolution, right? And you begin to wonder, are the middle class really such terrible people, right? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, there are different kinds of revolutions and you get different kinds of middle classes, right? Like for instance, the middle class uh, 60 or 50 or 60 years ago in India and the middle class today are different, uh, a different brand of people, right? Yeah. So 50 years ago, when you talked about a middle class person, you would say a middle class person is this person who has gone to school, English educated, convent uh, education, English educated, whatever you want to call it and has gone to college, knows how to speak English, can handle things, uh, has a bureaucratic government job, and is not a troublesome person. That's the, the notion of a middle class person, right? Yeah. And of course, the whole idea of after uh, liberalization, or little before liberalization maybe, the idea of the middle class already changes, right? Yeah, you might like to read Pavan Verma's uh, The Great Indian Middle Class, right? Yeah. So. And when we look look at the novel, we're talking about middle class people, right? Yeah, we're talking about middle class people who, uh, and the the images that are used are terrible, right? When we're talking about this idea of uh, defarge, right? And talking about showing the king and queen to the uh, the proletariat, right? He says, well, it's like showing a dog, uh, a cat milk, yeah? I don't know whether cats like milk, but anyhow, the idea is cats like milk, right? And it's showing cats milk and it's showing uh, dogs their food, right? And that's the kind of uh, image that you get when you're showing the poor person actually confronting the king and the queen, yeah? So does it happen that way? And is it so easy? Yeah, it's not so easy because we have something called ideation, right? And we begin to wonder why the Dalits in India 
haven't actually had a violent revolution, right? Yeah, because the kind of suppressions that they've undergone are much worse than what happened in the French Revolution and they still go on today, right? Yeah, and we begin to wonder why that happens, right? And if you read uh, Ambedkar's uh, Pawai Lake speech, yeah, you'd be begin to wonder, well, he's actually saying one day this will be like the French Revolution, though it's a much worse condition, right? Because buffaloes can shit in the lake and uh, uh, anybody who's not a Hindu or not a Dalit, right? Not a Hindu, not a Dalit, yeah. And of course, Ambedkar's views about being a Hindu is questionable and uh, I and many of my friends would think that, well, that's He's not a Hindu, why does he say that he's in? That's a different story, of course. But the idea of going to Pawai Lake, taking water from the lake and drinking from it is a kind of symbolic act to say that we are human beings, right? Yeah. So these are not even treated as human beings and that's what we get in the idea of the French Revolution, right? So uh, we're also talking about, yeah, so the question is, why don't these people get up, right? And we always wonder, right? Because we are the exploiters, right? Now we personally, right? But systemic kind of violence is being done to the Dalits, right? And when we talk about the novel also, it's a question of systemic kind of violence that is done, right? The system does violence on people and the system is controlled by the people in power, right? Yeah. And the idea is what happens when those people change, right? So that's one of the things that the novel is saying, right? And it's, of course, it's doing something that was already there with this man called, uh, uh, what's his name? The Leviathan? Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes, right? Who believes that the human being is a horrible kind of creature, right? Yeah, so you, you get a new set of human beings, right? Uh, and get rid, uh, and you wonder what's going to happen, right? It's like on the 13th of December when uh, all those kind of things took place, right? And uh, people made an attempt uh, whenever that was, 2001 or 2003, somewhere, and I was in Delhi, and one of my colleagues said, well, these people have not been good enough, right? They should have actually gone and bombed the whole parliament house off when it was in session and got rid of all these rotten people who are running our country, right? Yeah? <laughs> so I said, well, what difference does it make, right? The next set of people will be as, as bad or even worse, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what we have, right? So uh, this is a, a question about that and that's a kind of reflection that we get when we're reading Tales of Two Cities, right? One is what happens to the life of the ordinary people, right? And it's very sad that in India today, the middle class and the so-called educated people have lost sympathy for the migrant, right? When we read Tale of Two Cities, we're actually talking about people who are made migrants because of political and religious, uh, of course it's not religious over here, but in other places it's religious also, right? Uh, if you, you, you read uh, Dunn, and if you read uh, Pope, and you read all those kind of people, right? Uh, you'll find that the religious persecution is also something where people have to run away from where they are, right? Yeah, so of course that happens in India, and that's, we've already, that's our kind of uh, story that we have, right? Yeah, so we get back to the idea of uh, the prison, right? And we use this kind of prison and the reflection on prison as material for schools, right? We also use the idea of the military, right? 
because the military people are also trained in a certain kind of way and that we glorify that, right? Not necessarily it's glorious, right? But this is very English and the whole idea of uh, the military being trained to exercise, the military to be trained to have discipline, right? And what's unfortunate uh, and terrible in fact is when we look at uh, what is called the MBA or the business schools, right? They are run on the data that they get from military management, right? So uh, we are looking at uh, the systems that are op uh, operating all around, right? So at one level, you have the military and the school, right? And many people get into these training schools, which are military training schools, right? And of course, the other side is that the military people are not supposed to think, right? So that's again where you have something called the paradigm paralytic, right? Because if people think, yeah, that's it, Top Gun. I don't know if you see Top Gun. Yeah, but this, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the, the actress who acts there, right? But she's the uh, the expert in, uh, in the science of whatever that is, right? And uh, Tom Hanks uh, uh, is in the class and he asks her, uh, when she says, well, it, uh, you have to do this, he says, well, you can't. If you're flying a plane at that height and that speed, you don't have time to think, right? Yeah, that's important, right? And the question is, you're not supposed to think, you're not supposed to feel, right? So that's something that is the other side of the discipline of the, uh, the military, right? When we come to prisoners and we see what's happening over here, it's not a, about the body, Right? It's what happens to the mind when you do the same kind of work and no other work for centuries, uh, for many, many years. Right? Yeah. So you get into this paradigm, paralytic kind of state. Right? And of course, what we also see in Mane is he's given a breather. He's given the, the life of a free man. Right? And even in spite of him getting the life of a free man, he goes back to his uh, making shoes, which is not really his job and not really his profession at all, right? Yeah, because he thinks that he's on the bench and this is where his mind is stuck, right? So that's interesting. And the way Laurie, ah, please read that if you have not read it. Yeah, just look at the way Laurie is talking to him. What do you do about a person who's actually uh, in this kind of trauma? What happens and what happens to his behavior? And they're talking about behaviorism already. Yeah. Yeah. Today, of course, we might be quite aware of it. Yeah, what happens to our uh, body because of using devices uh, like we have, right, uh, is something that we might like to think of. Yeah, I'm sorry, this screen is gone. Yeah, yeah. Is it okay? Pardon? Question? Yes, please. This very moment, the thing that you were talking about, we yeah. see Mr. Laurie asking Dr. Manet yeah. about him, yeah. but as in, in some other way, that if there is a patient, what yes. do you do with him? Right. So, and doctor even gives him all the solutions, and yes. there is a very long discussion yes. between them. Yes. So, what I wanted to ask was, hmm. we are not told this in the, in the book. But does Dr. Manet know that at some point that Laurie is talking about him? Perhaps he doesn't. And that's what is brilliant about it, right? Yeah. Because it's actually 
you can analyze somebody else's condition, but you can't do anything about yourself. Yeah. But In fact, yeah. The clients that uh, you can take away the snowmaker uh, stuff and bench hmm. in his absence only. When he, when the doctor gives Laurie this solution, hmm. at that point of time, I somewhere feel that maybe the doctor knows. Uh, no, that's a question to be asked, no? right? Because we, we are not only talking about the doctor, we are also talking about ourselves, right? Very often we know the solution, right? Like for instance. I have a, maybe a problem in breathing, right? And I know the solution is getting down and doing 100 uh, push-ups, right? Or going for a run, right? Yeah, or going for a, for exercise, but I don't do it, right? Yeah, so we know the solution, but there is something that's blocking us from putting it into action, right? Yeah, so that's even in our normal life, we are uh, weighed down by certain kinds of uh, ways of behavior, right? And to change that kind of way of behavior is not easy. Right? So, uh, I've used a life of luxury, right? And that's why many people die the minute they finish uh, with their work, right? Yeah? Because they don't have work to do, they don't have preoccupation, yeah? And their body might have been uh, subjected to all sorts of uh, uh, occupational hazards, right? Yeah? So, uh, you're actually sitting in a bench, right? It's only today that we know this, right? That we're using these mobiles, right? Like, for instance, your hand might get affected because of using too much of the uh, the smartphone, right, or the mobile, or the laptop, right. So we actually see how quickly it affects us today, right. And you actually have to go for physiotherapy to put your body right because it's gone into a certain manner and your muscles are put into a certain manner, right. Yeah, and this is not an old idea, right. It's an idea that you have from Shakespeare's Hamlet, right, where. Hamlet puts on the act of madness, right? And then the question is, can he get out of the act or can he not? Right? So, if you behave like a mad person at one point of time, right? You won't be able to make out whether you're mad or sane. Right? Yeah? Uh, if you read R.K. Narayan's uh, The Gate Man's Gift, right? Yeah, this man thinks that he's mad, right? Yeah? So, how do you... And this is very important, right? Because, and your question is really important, because we're talking about madness, right? Yeah, and we're talking about madness being behavioral, right? And how do you say somebody's mad, right? Because my ways of operation, right? And the general ways of operation, what we call the normal, and that's why we always use the novel in inverted commas, right? What's normal for you is not normal for me, right? Yeah, and what food you like is not the food I like, right? And we have to get used to all these other kinds of systems, right? Yeah. So when we're talking about somebody being mad or somebody being not normal, right? How do we place the normal, right? Yeah. And if you've dealt with the schizoid, right? You find that very funny. You can change, and you can be totally normal at one minute of time, and you can be totally abnormal at another minute of time. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this, and it's very horrible to see it. Please. I would want anybody to suffer this, right? Because I actually had a classmate uh, in the MPhil, right? And he was okay, right? Oh, we would think that he was okay, but uh, I happened to go to the university 10 years after we had registered for the MPhil, right? And he was doing his MPhil exam, right? And of course, because of kindness of my guide, uh, actually he should have failed, right? But my guide said, well, he's already living on the road for more than a year, right? And he's almost going around like a beggar, eating from the garbage bin, etc. Right? 
and we couldn't do anything about it. And he couldn't do anything, his wife couldn't do anything, and this guy would sometimes not recognize anybody, right? Not recognize any of us, right? Okay, uh, I should talk to him, and that was terrible, right? So if you ever see somebody like that, right? And uh, the only way out was when he agreed to come with me on my motorcycle to Mother Teresa's home because we didn't know what to do with him, right? Yeah. Uh, and those people found him dirty. I didn't find him dirty, but they found him dirty. His whole kind of being was really dirty, right? And in fact, it became a big issue because I had left all my jobs to do my PhD, right? And uh, I started engaging with the teachers and I said, well, something will be done about it, right? And some of them said, he's not troubling us. What, what happens if he sits in a corner and goes on foo 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 uh, with his hands, right? And he reads the same four pages every day, right? Yeah, and uh, all those kind of things, right? So what happens when you're locked like that, right? And that's exactly what happens to Manny, right? For a brief moment, he gets out of it, right? And then when I when I actually took him to this place, right? And they, the first thing that they did is they gave him a new set of clothes and they asked him to have a bath and they had somebody over there. They said, if you don't want to have a bath, we've got somebody to give you a bath, right? So he said, no, I'm going to have a bath myself. And then uh, the way that uh, Nan talked to him, right, uh, so sweetly that this man actually changed and he responded to her. And I said, wow, if I could do that, it would have been great, right? Yeah, because he actually uh, improved very much, right? Of course, they didn't want him because uh, uh, by their rules, you have to be the poorest of the poor, right? And he had his mother and three brothers, which we didn't know, and we didn't know where they were, we didn't know how to contact them, right? But, and the second thing is, uh, they're not allowed to keep people who are mentally uh, not okay, right? And he kept disturbing people over there, right? So, anyhow, but to see that is terrible, right? I'm sorry, it's it's terrible when you go and talk to a person and he looks at you and doesn't re uh, recognize you, and another time he, he recognizes you and talks about things in a very warm manner, that's really scary, right? And that's exactly what happens to Manny. One, the question that you asked is even more interesting. And I asked this question to somebody after I read, read uh, that's when I was in standard 11 or 12, right? When I was reading uh, Dale Carnegie, right? And all of us might have read how to win friends and influence people, how to live 365 days of your life, right? Yeah, so those are the books on the shelf, uh, which were for young people and I, in the library that I had. So I, I kept reading all the Dale Carnegie things, and there was one interesting book which said, Little Known Facts About Well-Known People by Dale Carnegie, and he's talking about uh, Einstein, and he's talking about all those kind of things, right? And I said, well, I took it, just to read it, curiosity, of course, right? And uh, I said, well, he should, there should also be a, a note on him, because nobody knows that Dale Carnegie committed suicide, right? Yeah, and that's extremely important because we are talking about the idea of uh, what happens to his work, right? And I must go and talk about another, uh, sorry, I'm, I've been dealing with all the, the characters in the world and you might find, I don't know why that happens and even now it's happening, right? Yeah, I don't know why all these uh, people who are a little nuts think that I can handle and do things for them, right? Yeah, and this is a doctor who uh, was an important pediatrician in, in Bombay, and he, I didn't go on out to meet him, right? But my brother had something to do with him, 
he was uh, doing something with music therapy and uh, this is linked up to the lecture, please do not think it's out, right? He was doing something with music therapy and uh, uh, psychodrama, right? And talking about this man called William James, right? And William James uh, is a brother of Henry James, right? And he's given us, Henry James uses William James's theory about the stream of consciousness, right? And uh, of course, uh, this doctor was actually using, he, yeah, he was a child pediatrician, okay, very famous, right, who could cure asthma and children, right, and one day his own son died because of asthma, and this man becomes an alcoholic, and his wife does something that's terrible, right, or we might think it's terrible, but we don't know the condition, she puts him in the mental hospital, right, and over there they find that he's not even, he's got some little problem, a mental problem, but not very dangerous, so, they get him into working over there in the hospital with other patients and he uses this uh, kind of psychodrama over there. Psychodrama and music therapy, right? And in his lecture, which he, that's his first break from uh, coming out of here around the uh, mental hospital, perhaps, right? Yeah. Uh, and he was staying in a lodge, etc. So uh, he took my brother along with him to play the guitar and uh, in the lecture, uh, and he read this lecture out many times to me, right, and he asked me what do you think about it and I gave my comments. I was a math student then, right, and I didn't know anything about him, right. I found his lecture brilliant, right, and I said, well, you've only put in European elements. I was not an English student, right. I said, when you talk about dance, you must talk about Natraja, right, because the idea of Natraja's dance is a very important cosmic dance. You should talk about that, right, and I was on a huge kind of Indology trip and uh, reading all this kind of thing about Indian religion, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he took a lot of my suggestions, etc. And then somebody asked him about William James, right? Uh, after he finished the lecture, somebody asked him about William James, right? And of course, uh, uh, that was important because this man asked him, he says, you're talking very highly about William James and his idea of music therapy, right? Yeah. and. Uh, uh, this doctor replied, uh, he said, well, music uh, William James, and William James committed suicide? Yeah, so that's a knockout question, right? He didn't know that William James had committed suicide, right? And his whole work is based on William James, right? But look at the intelligence of the man, in spite of me, not quite okay, right? Yeah, there's a glass on the table with a rose in it, right? Reminds me of Madhav Nefaj's rose, right? And he takes the rose, keeps it out, slowly drinks the glass of water, right? And then tells this person that the personal life of a person doesn't concern us, right? And then that made me look at the idea of Dale Carnegie and the idea of William James. And these people have contributed in major ways to uh, confidence building, uh, public speaking, that's Dale Carnegie, of course, right? And there's a Carnegie Hall and all those kind of things on the Carnegie Foundation, right? And a person like Carnegie goes and commits suicide, right? Yeah. And William James, who's another person who's actually uh, done so much for psychology, he goes and commits suicide, right? Yeah. And there's a friend of mine who's, who's working on it and he got very upset. He said, look, I'm doing all of my work on William James, right? Yeah. And what happens to my work, right? And doc, uh, this doctor's uh, response was very interesting because he said, the personal life of a person doesn't concern us. The work is important, right? 
and of course that might not apply and that's a questionable position right yeah because we're talking about the the mind we're talking about somebody's working with the mind right and if that kind of person goes and commits suicide what happens and i was talking to a friend of mine at that point of time that i was in the first year bsc or something right yeah or yeah uh, so the the person gave me a very interesting reply he was a philosophy student right and he said well uh, sometimes we don't put a lot of solutions that we know into our own lives right we might have a lot of theory but that's for other people and that's exactly what happens when we have and that's why your question is brilliant yeah that's what we have in many right yeah he knows the solution and that's for somebody else right and if you do uh, the chair technique and get start the uh, therapy it operates just like this and thank you very much for the question again right yeah because you sit in a chair right uh nobody is around you are the you are doing your own kind of counseling right you sit in a chair and talk about your problems as if there's somebody or you imagine somebody sitting in the chair opposite you right yeah then you go and shift into the other chair the counselor's chair okay and talk as if you're the counselor and talk to a person who's again imaginary which is you right yeah so when i was reading that thing about uh lorry and uh, uh mane right this is what was interesting right so the idea is how do you get insight right yeah so if i think as a counselor right can i cure myself right and this of course it looks like we are in a schizoid world right and many people think that all of us are schizophrenic right that's what i told one of the fine arts students uh who was a friend of mine and of course he was into substance abuse uh, abuse etc and that's why he becomes schizophrenic right so one day he was very upset he says all the people of baroda think of me as a schizophrenic and i said well the whole world is full of schizophrenics right yeah and india especially we are full of schizophrenics because at one level we talk in english the other level we talk in gujarati or hindi or marathi or kannada or whatever that is right yeah so what happens with this kind of structure and how does language structure us and how do we get from one one kind of language to another right so you also find people and uh, yeah there's a person who never spoke hindi in all her life right yeah and which was old she only spoke hindi and nothing else right so yeah, so what is the idea of language and the idea of mental ailment got to do and of course when your speech patterns change that's how you talk about people as not quite okay right of course i'm not talking about them as a not intelligent or anything of the sort and if i do uh, fuko would give me a kick right because fuko is talking about how a mental patient goes to a doctor right and there's a doctor well your medicine is wonderful right and i'm feeling very good right and he actually tells the doctor all that and the doctor feels very good about himself and that's it but the mental patient is preventing himself from being given other kinds of torture or medical torture or medicine that the doctor wants right yeah so uh i wonder will uh, this becomes very interesting very existential yeah because how do we keep ourselves away from torture yeah and what other methods do we do right and how do we feel imprisoned that's exactly the question that happens to mane right he's free but he's not free right yeah and uh you have this uh a theologian called martin buber right 
who is actually talking about the free, uh, the fear of freedom, right? Yeah, and you have that in Kafka. If you read Kafka and you read America, right? Kafka's America is about uh, a person who's given all the freedom and doesn't know what to do with it, right? Yeah, and uh, the castle and the trial are about how society is uh, clamping in on you and doesn't give you freedom and you're fighting against that freedom, right? So what happens if I'm given my freedom, right? And that's exactly what is happening with Manet, right? Uh, sorry for that uh, kind of an answer and it's not complete because I think we need to think about it much more, yeah? And this is a trope that is happening from Hamlet, right? Yeah, the whole world is a prison, right? And we are into all these kinds of prison structures, whether it's the family or whether it's the state or whether it's the school, right? These are all, all uh, prison structures that we have, right? The very fact that we have a structured society, that means these are all jails. We don't see the bars, we don't see the cages. That's what Hamlet is talking about, right? So philosophically, we're all in cages, right? And we go from one cage to the other, which is okay, right? Once you get stuck in one cage, then people will say that you're mad, right? Sorry for putting it that way, but that's exactly what happens to man, right? So you find him abnormal because he's stuck, okay? And the Victorian idea is, it's like a machine that you are stuck in a groove, right? So it's like a gramophone record, right? Where you, you get, if there's something wrong with your gramophone, right? Then you get the, the needle gets stuck and it goes again and again and it plays the same thing, right? Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you've experienced that, but I had a gramophone and some of the records were scratched, right? And if the record is scratched, then uh, you don't, the, the needle doesn't go on to the next groove, right? So the idea of the mind working in a groove, right? Yeah. And somebody told me that once. He says, you know, your mind works in a groove. I said, yes. My mind works in a groove, but the question is, everybody's mind works in many grooves, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what we do, right? So we are talking about getting stuck to one groove, right? Yeah, we actually, we talk about identity, or Amartya says idea of identity, right? So we, we, we live in many kinds of identities, and we learn how to shift identity. Like, we learn how to shift language, right? Yeah, so you can read uh, for that language bit, you can read... Uh, 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 David Crystal, Encyclopedia, Cambridge Ency uh, Encyclopedia of the English Language, and you can go to the section on Black English, right? I don't know it when I was an MA student, right? Which is very interesting, right? So you're talking about people, uh, of course, that time I didn't know that Black English meant us also, right? If you go to England, we are black, right? Uh, but they talk about how people can talk uh, their Black English at home, and when they're in school, uh, shift to what you call a formal English or the English accent and the English type, right? So you can actually, so you, you uh, do all the O's and R's and all that kind of thing in public and you go home and talk your Indian uh, English. So you shift between dialects, right? Yeah, and I've actually seen a friend of mine doing that in Marathi. Uh, yeah, a, he's of course an upper caste uh, Brahmin and all that kind of thing. But uh, when he talks to the people on the road, he actually shifts to this uh, dialect of Marathi, which is used by the rural people and a different kind of, yeah. And I, I sometimes wonder, why is this guy doing this? And then I, I, I notice that, yeah, his mother is a Marxist, right? So maybe that kind of uh, understanding of getting down and talking the dialect of the local people, right? Uh, that's what is interesting, right? Yeah, so uh, the idea of language, prison, 
the mental hospital school, right? So we are used to certain kinds of language in school, right? And we find it very different. And behavior, right? It's not only the body, but it's the mind which gets forged into a... And the idea of the forge is again and again, you 